beauty of that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like, say, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. Hey, everybody. Let's try this again. Okay, can you hear me? We can hear you we just can hear you we now, can hear Amy. you just fine. Great. <sighs> well, I, I think there must have been some sort of technical glitch that was going on in the uh in uh, the, system. the first but you know the nice thing about this technology, it never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> we get to start over. <laughs> uh we get to start over and no one will ever know. They'll be like, What's going on? Well, Thank you, everyone, for joining Bipolar Girl, uh, heard in over 70 countries. We are so deli- delighted to help you create community and to tell stories over stigma. Uh, we are we are excited again to be with you this week. Uh, we hope to bring a very rewarding show to you again. Um, joining us, uh, of course, is our coolest friend we've known now for about three, four years, <laughs> Dr. Amy DeRamis. Hi. How are you, Amy? Good, you? Good. We are well. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we were just about to talk about the week and how our week was. And Rebecca, go ahead. Why don't you tell everyone, tell Amy about what you have going on? Oh, um, the biggest thing that I have going on is I was telling Stephen, I cry at everything now. And I don't know if that is a medication issue or if that is a therapist issue, but like I cry like I'm pregnant and I'm not pregnant. But, like, you see the cute dog running down the street, and, like, I get teary-eyed over it. And I've never been that person. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just becoming a softy. She says she's softening up I'm as soft. she gets older. I'm getting weak. I'm getting weak. But the one thing that I did want to talk about on the show this week is that new app that I found. Oh, yeah. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, okay. Amy, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone how your week was? It was pretty good. Um, I've got... A new role I've been invited to consult for a video game company that wants to make games to help teach coping skills for mental illness. Now that's that's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. That should be cool. Wow. And so I know you can't really talk about it. Can you talk about like sort of the, the theme of the game or or is it still pretty like confidential at this point? Well, it's early days. All I can say is that they're looking for me to add kind of the specific coping skills and help work it into the narrative. And it's going to be very important to them that there's a really good story that this is a genuinely good playthrough, like any video game should be. And then within that, we're trying Mm -hmm. to create situations where people can learn and practice coping skills. Wow. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Well, you mm-hmm. have to keep us posted on that. I would love to. Now, I was talking to uh, Chad Matthews, who we've had on the show, um, who mm-hmm. does um, crisis intervention here in Maryland. I was talking to him about an idea of how he should engage youth and video games. And that mm-hmm. would be really cool, especially with some that are having mental health issues as well or challenges that they're trying to cope with. Mm-hmm. 
be curious about where you guys are headed. So I, I'm I'm very curious in this about this game. Yeah, I can't wait. And there's actually also quite a few video games that have been specifically designed to help with mental health, especially a few that are working with depression, some that are mm -hmm. working with anxiety, grief, even one to try and help teach people with schizophrenia how to tell the difference between hallucinations and reality. Oh, wow. And that's Hellblade. And it's kind of a cool warrior game because she's trying to rescue her lover from the underworld, kind of a reverse Persephone kind of thing mm -hmm. from Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. And to do so, she has to be able to tell what's an actual monster, what's an actual enemy, and which ones she's hallucinating. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So that's not one of the ones from the company that I'm going to be working with, but it was really cool. So I was wow, really excited man. to maybe work on some video games that will help with that. I think so. Well, how do you and how do you how do you reconcile some of the stimulation issues that video games uh, have on humans and in general? And how do you reconcile that with those with mental illness? Like how, you know, what's the reaction Go, what do you think the reaction will be? Well, I don't think it's going to be for everybody. Definitely video games could be overstimulating for a lot of people. Right. Um, or people might have to, like a lot of people do choose the moment. Like right now I'm already feeling overstimulated, so I'm not going to play the game versus, right. you know, maybe later or maybe tomorrow or next week, the game will be the right thing for me. Right. Right. No, that's that's fascinating. You have to keep us posted. And perhaps yeah. you could get the owners or the creators um, to join you on the show. That uh, would be good. To promote their product and, you know, the, you know, and the benefits. Yeah. And one other quick thing, if I could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lords Obidia's children's book on mood disorders has finally come out. Yay. Really? Uh-huh. The one I told you about a few weeks ago. Yeah, I I've that. tried contacting her on Instagram, but I haven't gotten anywhere. Yeah, we're trying to get her on the show. Yeah. Maybe. So I'll keep trying. Maybe you can help. I'll see what I can do. All right, perfect. Better, books, if she doesn't, if she isn't right. interested or I can't contact her, maybe we can get somebody from the uh, publishing company or one of the other writers who do similar things for that company. Perfect. That's perfect. I love that. We'll hook something up. Yeah, we'll be, yeah, that's perfect. Beep, beep. Yep. So what about your book? Speaking <laughs> of books, how's it going? Oh, Lord, that one. Um, so the bipolar book's still um, doing great. I think it was back up to like sixth on the list of bipolar books on Amazon. Cool. So sixth well, in the U.S. for a while good. during the holiday season, which was nice. That's very and then nice. The new one, the relationship OCD one, that's kind of in development hell right now. <laughs> finished the book, finished the manuscript, got a nice paycheck for the manuscript. That'll do. But really? then it went to marketing after we were done with the writing and editing. And marketing yeah. was kind of like, I don't see a market for it. Oh. I don't think we can do anything with it right now. So it's not dead, but it's on a shelf somewhere. Oh, that's awful. You know, that's yeah. one thing that, you know, just burn like it really burns at my Grinds collar. My marketing people. Because marketing people, they're cynical by nature, but like mm -hmm. they're always looking for a way to not do something. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I tell you, I'm so sorry if you need me to call them and like. Yes, you know. let's call them and tell them all about how it would be useful. Yeah, exactly. We can we create a precedent for not we'll just a, a, a market for it. We'll create our own market. There you go. Maybe yeah. we could. 
Yeah, well, we'll see. But you know, so it's on relationship OCD, which is when somebody's OCD symptoms focus specifically on kind of perfecting their relationship or finding this mythical perfect partner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the obsessions and compulsions kind of driving that. Could that be my mother? Why she like oh, is waiting God. for Jesus to bring her one? Could be. Your no. mother has a lot of things to unpack. <laughs> she might listen. Don't say that. <laughs> but it is true though. <laughs> well, you said the same thing about my mother, so. Well, that's why I'm not that upset. I'm like, well, that's true. <laughs> uh, oh, and speaking of technology and apps, Rebecca came across something really cool this week. So it's an app that is called, it's called White Flag. Mm -hmm. It's a completely free app. And what you do is you go on there, you build your profile. It's anonymous, so you, mm -hmm. it never shows your name, just whatever profile name that you pick. And you choose your um, your mental health ailments, I'll say, mm -hmm. so like depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia. They're all on there. And then you choose your coping mechanisms, what you're doing to cope. And, and they're like the bad coping mechanisms, right? Like drinking, drugs, that kind of stuff. Um, and how are you off of it? Are you trying to get off of it? Are you trying to quit? That kind of thing. And then it it's chats. It's all these chats. So you have a button and you can raise your white flag and that puts you out there into the universe for a chat for another anonymous person who's suffering from the same things that you are because they match you up by like mental health issue or like coping struggles or whatever. And then you raise your white flag and you can get on there and, and the other person just asks, you know, how are you doing? Are you okay? And it's this really neat way to be able to talk to somebody who's in your situation, who knows your situation and just kind of have like, I don't know, like a buddy for a moment to get you through a hard time. And you put you put it out there. You had an interesting conversation. We don't talk about specifically like who it was, but you had an interesting conversation yesterday. I did. I did. There was a couple people that I was talking to and one girl was really struggling with her family life and she has depression and anxiety. And it was just, it was really, I don't want to go into it, but it was really good to just be able, mm -hmm. it made me feel good to be able to help her feel better, you know, to be there for somebody. Mm -hmm. It was and really was called white flag, white flag. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. it completely free. Like there's no signups. There's no law, nothing. And it's 100% anonymous. It'll only tell you your username and then whatever you want to share within the chat. They reduce the barriers to engagement. So yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, no, that's that's that is very 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 cool. And she was telling me the stories last night, and I was like, oh my god, that's horrible. And then I was like, oh wow, Ooh, interesting. Yeah, like there was a lot of that going on. Situations where yeah, you need you need a friend, you need somebody to talk to, and maybe you don't have that person. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, let's see. Where 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 are we? So interviews this week. This week was a very this. You know what? We're super excited, everyone. Mm -hmm. Finally, let, we did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> All three of us. We did it. So it was kind of like this. So like Dr. Nicolescu had been super busy 
I mean, since last year and kept canceling. And we were just like, oh, gosh. So we were sitting there like, you know what? I don't know. Rebecca's like, I don't think he wants to come on the show. I said, I don't think that's it. Someone like that is just super busy. I said, well, let me just throw it out there. Like, why don't you just try to jump on on, what was it, a Saturday? Or a Monday? Yeah, like. Yeah, it was a random day. I was like, can you just, like, let's just find a random day, get him on Zoom, right? We'll record it, and then we'll play the recording on the show. And I, and, and like, I got in touch with Amy. Amy was like, I don't know. Right, Amy? She had to, like, rearrange stuff. Schedules. It um, got rearranged because we've been trying to do this for months. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, and everybody knows. Like I've been talking about it. Like we we've been wanting to have Dr. Nicolescu on for forever, and it just none of our schedules ever matched up properly. Right. No, it didn't. And I want I want to actually give him a proper um, in- introduction too. So let me. Um, let me just talk about it. But you talked about some very interesting things, uh, Amy, mm-hmm. um, during your in- interview. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give it away, but you definitely was able to like ask questions from a clinical perspective yes. that I was very that I thought was very cool. Yeah, things that we wouldn't have thought to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, do you want me to read his bio? Um. Let's see. Yes. Okay, so his bio, I'm going to read it. I believe patients should be treated in personalized fashions based on clinical interview, biomarker testing, and neuropsychological testing. Using low-dose rational polypharmacy to get synergetic benefits and minimize side effects, I am also a proponent of increasing wellness and resilience not just treating disease. Ultimately, the goal is the prevention of disease episodes and increased quality of life. And what was it? We dropped his, um, we'll we'll drop the name of his company, but just to let you know, like he graduated from, um, you know, University of California, San Diego um, is is where he did his psychiatry work, and then he was at Scripps Research Institute, and then the University of Geneva, and then Bucharest. University and he's at in Indiana now. Yeah, he's at Indiana. He's an MD, PhD, which is like, I mean, you talk about overachiever here. Mm-hmm. What, so, what would you say, kind of like, what was your, how did you feel about that interview, or just being able to land someone like him, Amy? That was amazing. This is a level of progress in the field that I didn't even know was happening right now. Right. And yeah. I'm really excited about it because, you know, like, again, I'm not going to give everything away, but in, but in that kind of three to five year range that he gave us before this could happen, that could be a game changers. Right. No, I mean, and, and even I was talking about some of the futuristic stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, could you do it in utero and late stage utero? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, we won't be able to. It's different because we pre-recorded the interview, and we mm-hmm. probably won't be able. But we'll probably talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about it the next week or something. The next. Yeah, week. we can talk about it afterwards. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, that that's. So anyway, what was the name of his company? He sent you the question. Medex something. Was it? It wasn't Pub. No, it wasn't PubMed. It was like MedX. Mind X Mind, Sciences. Mind X That's Sciences. It. Amazing work. And that he has doing. An, he has an app. He'll talk about it there. Um, Mind X app, That's where it. you can go on and um, do a lot of work and learn more about his work and stuff. 
But we'll just, link. We'll put it all in the notes. But just to let you know that this was like a huge for us. This was a huge, I think, leap forward in terms of interviews and being able. I mean, I think this year we've had yeah, some so, really good leaders know, and like uh, academics. I mean, beyond like Amy, of course, you set the standard. But then we had your buddy, who's a prescribing psychologist, um, mm-hmm. psychologist Derek, and then now Dr. Nicolescu. I mean, it's just been rich in terms of. Um, intellectual capital that we've had mm-hmm. in the mental health space. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm pleased with this. Year we're so doing far. good. Yeah, so far we're, we're doing, doing a lot of good, and 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 we're gonna try and get more on. There's a couple more that we want to reach out to now, being in the new year, and mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. But I'm I was so I was like starstruck, you guys. Like when we got Dr. Mm-hmm. Nicolescu on, I was over here like giddy and all excited. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sit still and Steven had to keep telling me to sit still because I was so starstruck and in awe of this man. He was just... I couldn't believe we got him on the podcast. He's like an icon. So how about this? Like, how about we listen to... I don't know if we'll play the show now or if we want to come back on the other side um, and just kind of wrap. Um, but if yeah, not, so. let's just... Let's just... Uh, the song this week is People from... What is it? I don't have it up. It's Libyanka. Libyanka, and then well, we're not doing a proverb of the week this week, so it's kind of a it's kind of a janky show just because we had to pre-record it. But um, without further ado, ado, let's go ahead and play the interview. Uh, you know, with Dr. Nicolescu in its entirety. And Amy, um, yeah, maybe we'll do a show next week. We'll kind of cap. Let's and, do it next week. Yeah, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll have a, we'll have a recap show. Sounds good. All right, Amy. Good to hear from you. We're going to need popcorn when the field at large finds out about this. That's true, huh? So, yeah, then we could have a reaction show. Uh That's good, good. All right, Dr. D. Well, good. Thank you for being on this week. Thank you for coming, everyone. The next voice you will hear is Dr. Alexander Nicolescu. It, yeah, and it's so, a game changer. You know, glad to be here. I think what you're doing is very important. Um, I think um, raising awareness about this, having people feel not alone, uh, having people, um, you know, realize that this is something very common, um, treatable, um, that there are, you know, better days, better days ahead, better ways of um, assessing people, treating them, and so on is uh, very important. So happy to be here and and share some of the things that we've done and where we're headed. Excellent. Uh, Re- Rebecca, do you want to lead off with a question? How did you get started in the research? What made you start with this type of research? Yeah. So um, for, first of all, I'm um, I'm a clinical psychiatrist, uh, and uh, I I see patients with. Um, bipolar disorder, I see patients with depression, PTSD, schizophrenia. I've been a clinical psychiatrist for um, 25 years now. I've seen um, a lot of complicated cases over the years. Um, And um, in addition to that, I'm also a researcher. I'm a geneticist. So we wanted to bring some of the latest um, advances and some of the precision that is now sort of emerging in other fields like cancer and so on, we wanted to bring that into psychiatry so that um, our patients can be assessed better, um, maybe diagnosed earlier, 
uh, more precisely match the right treatments and have better outcomes. And in the end, you know, prevent relapses and prevent full-blown episodes from uh, from occurring again in them. Um, so that was the journey. And the journey has been <clears throat> academic. I've been a professor, um, you know, uh, I'm a professor of psychiatry at Indiana University School of Medicine. I'm a attending psychiatrist at uh, at IU Health, uh, our healthcare system. I'm uh, also a psychiatrist at our uh, VA Medical Center in Indianapolis. I love working with veterans. That's been a passion of mine, and I have been working with them for over 20 years now with veterans. Um, I started my um, journey in psychiatry in California at UC San Diego, and then um, 18 years ago, I... Um, was recruited to Indiana University School of Medicine and have been here ever since. And we've built, in addition to, you know, our clinical practice and our um, precise way of assessing and treating patients, we've built a research program where we, over the years, we've tried very hard and finally succeeded in developing blood tests for various mental health indications mm -hmm. as a way of... Uh, uh, providing some objective information, assessing people more carefully, um, providing some indication of risk and uh, matching people to the right treatments from the beginning, as opposed to the trial and error mm -hmm. process that occurs currently in psychiatry. Um, three years ago, um, we spun out some of the research that we've done in academia in a company, in a startup company called Mindex Sciences that uh, is able to offer these tests to patients and doctors. Uh, one of the great <clears throat> frustrations that I had over the years as an academic was we would discover something after years of work, publish a big paper, university would make a press release. And then, you know, two, three years later, you know, nothing had happened. If we hadn't moved the needle in terms of the field and uh, mm -hmm. I couldn't use those tests in my own patients. So, we decided three years ago, let's do something about this. And if we're not going to do it, nobody else is going to do it. So we rolled our sleeves, uh, put together a team with uh, experienced business people and uh, rolled this out. It's still small, but growing. We, you know, have um, had a constant um, um, evolution at the company. And uh, in, in the end, you know, we feel that getting these tests into people's hands is what's important. I mean, you can make the greatest discoveries in the world. If they don't translate to practice, you're not helping patients, you're not helping their families. So that's where we are. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Rebecca is actually an Army veteran as well. And I remember early on when she started showing symptoms when they gave her Zoloft and she went manic, you know, we went through this long journey of trying to figure out what medication would work for her. And we were in Colorado and a Dr. Huffman was just starting, I guess, in, in joining that some sort of research where they were doing neurological tests to try brain to scan. brain scans to try to determine the appropriate medication. So when we, of course, yeah. came across your research, we were not only fascinated, but absolutely absolutely, um, you know, amazed and happy. Um, Amy, do you want to lead off with any question? Um, first, I just want to say I am, you know, as a therapist, really excited about the idea of diagnosing via some kind of biomarker, an actual blood test. I mean, the best we've got right now is diagnosing by checklist, and that's kind of insanely primitive. Um, and I'm looking forward to having something better. Like, think if we diagnosed cancer, 
by like, okay, there's a gnarly looking mole. We better start cutting body parts off <laughs> to get rid of the cancer. Yeah. And we're not much more sophisticated than that, just with having checklists of symptoms to diagnose off of, even when they're very well validated checklists. So I am really hoping for this idea of actually having biomarkers to take off. So um, can you explain a little bit more about how that works? Like what exactly are you measuring for? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I want to say that you're uh, exactly right. I completely agree with you. We um, we need to move beyond sort of having um, checklist. It's, it's not that uh, um, having a checklist or having some sort of questionnaire or quantitative assessment is a bad thing. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a first necessary step in a lot of right. other disorders, cardiology and so on. We, we do go through a checklist of symptoms. We do get some uh, questionnaires, some severity scores. Mm -hmm. the, the problem has been that um, <clears throat> twofold. First of all, on the one hand, we've only relied on that uh, until recently. There were no mm -hmm. available objective tests, whether blood test or EEG or imaging. And, mm -hmm. and second, you know, the questionnaires that we had, that we still have and use in psychiatry were developed uh, historically in a very, um, you know, uh, hodgepodge fashion. And the, our understanding of biology of the dimensional approaches and so on has evolved since. And we, you know, mm -hmm. we don't think they're the best map of the reality. So the reason I'm mentioning that is that <clears throat> as part of our work over the last two decades, we developed um, our own very simple quantitative phenotypic assessments that we validated against the existing questionnaires in the field. But uh, ours are more temporal, quantitative. At this moment in time, this is a number for your mood, for your anxiety, for your stress, mm -hmm. for your pain. And we use those as part of our biomarker discovery studies mm -hmm. and so on without having some sort of handle on the phenotype on what people feel, think, behave in a quantitative way. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's uh, hard to make a correct diagnosis. So in the end, we think that it's going to be sort of pay, paying better attention to feelings, thoughts and behaviors in a quantitative mm -hmm. and precise way. And we've developed an app called Life and Mind that uh, assesses that so people can track at home all those feeling thoughts and li life events and see how they interact and get a very nice um, uh, profile of, um, you know, who they are, how they behave and so on. So it's called Life X Mind by Mind X Sciences that has been um, <clears throat> um, released and is going to be, uh, it's available in the app stores, Apple and Google. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, that's sort of like a Fitbit for the mind. So at home, mm -hmm. you know, you can in between the appointments, you know, you can um, sort of keep track of things in a quantitative way, have nice graphs that you can show to your psychologist, your therapist, your psychiatrist and so on. Mm -hmm. And that goes hand in hand with the blood test. So the blood tests that we developed are actually <clears throat> dynamic. These are we're looking at RNAs, which are the product of genes. We're not looking at DNA, which is fixed. You have it from birth and that's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you test it once and one, one and done, right? It doesn't change. We're looking at gene expression and that's mm -hmm. RNA. These RNAs right. from, from, from specific genes that we identified are dynamic. They change 
with um, disease state, disease severity, response to treatment. Mm -hmm. So you can um, keep track of things, uh, see how they respond to treatment, and then use it as part of annual exams to catch um, an early drift towards disease, to intervene early to prevent things. Mm -hmm. And we have developed panels for mood disorders um, that can look at um, you know depression risk, mania risk, matching with medications matching with nutraceuticals we've developed panel for stress disorders ptsd we've developed mm -hmm. panels for <clears throat> um, suicide risk uh, which is a very important issue that we have worked very hard on we've developed panels for pain which is another sort of subjective you know um complex problem in medicine um very much like the psychiatric problems where you know it's subjective until you make it objective with something right we've developed panels for memory um, which is relevant to alzheimer's disease and we've developed a panel of markers for longevity um we're, we're looking at aspects related to how mood and stress affect lifespan so that longevity panel is related to the effect of uh, depression and stress on your lifespan and health span so those are six of the panels that we have made available um, through an early access program um, at Mindex Sciences over the last year, 2022. And we've had doctors try them out with their patients. They get a nice report, like it looks like a, a credit report that you would get from your bank with a number there, a traffic light about risk and a list of things you can do wow. to improve the score, medications and nutraceuticals. And it's all science-based you know all these tests had publications before they were rolled out um and uh for <clears throat> using this early access program mm -hmm. and we're working this year 2023 to uh to advance and um publish and release um three more tests maybe four we'll see how we were very slow about how we did the science so we take our time to check check and check again validate mm -hmm. them but we, we will have a panel for anxiety disorders probably in the spring. Uh, we'll have one for psychotic disorders, schizophrenia in the summer. And we may have a panel for um, attention for ADHD um, in fall or winter. Um, those are three things that we're working on. And um, the um, anxiety work has almost been accepted at the major peer-reviewed journal. The um, schizophrenia, psychosis, biomarker panels are under review, and the um, attention ADHD biomarkers are. We're writing up the research right now, and usually takes three to six months at least to go to peer review that the reputable journals where we publish and so we're thinking if all if everything checks and we're satisfied with it and we publish it it might be available in fall winter dr nicolescu yeah. up to what degree of accuracy can these tests predict yeah like yeah no so that's an excellent question so um so right now anything is better than nothing right so right Absolutely. now we have any tests. so any any sort of additional information that they can provide is is welcome and uh, useful uh, so they do two things so first of all they provide some information about uh, assessing somebody's disease severity and future risk and for that we have sensitivity specificity numbers 
positive predictive value, negative predictive mm -hmm. value for each of the tests. And I'll discuss those a little bit. Then the second thing that they do is based on which markers are changed, you, you match um, people to existing used medications and existing nutraceuticals. Mm -hmm. um, and that component is as important or even more important than the assessment part, because sometimes we can get an assessment clinically and with questionnaires, although it's imprecise, but mm -hmm. matching with medications. I mean, after all these years, I still sort of have to, you know, use my clinical expertise and pattern recognition and a trial and error process when I start mm -hmm. somebody on medications. Mm -hmm. A common error that occurs is, for example, what happened with uh, Rebecca, where she was uh, started on an antidepressant and she in fact had a bipolar spectrum disorder. That's a an, an error that I see all the time in my practice. Mm -hmm. I'll get referred to me after failing four or five anti six antidepressants and that should have been a clue that it's in fact not depression it's bipolar disorder mm -hmm. so our markers can distinguish that you know it can match people to the right medications and so on so regarding the the um, accuracy of the tests they are um, in three out of four people they can classify them correctly so this is sort of talking about a broad population Mm -hmm. uh, three out of four people. When when you're looking sort of uh, with the markers that are uh, differentiated by sex and by um, diagnosis, so in a more personalized fashion, the accuracy goes higher. In in you know in about uh, eight to nine out of ten people, you classify them correctly. Mm. And then when you combine the um, phenotypic assessment from the app along with the biomarker score then you are you know in nine out of ten people you are accurate in terms of uh, assessing them and so on and we've shown that in our studies in uh, independent cohorts that were not used for the discovery of the markers so those are the numbers i mean i can be more no, that's fascinating open, you know? no amy did you have a follow-up yeah um i know that when we're diagnosing the way we currently do, like with the ICD-10 or the DSM, um, there's still a lot of, you know, racial bias, um, sex and gender bias in diagnosing. For example, yeah. you know, uh, borderline personality disorder far more likely to be identified in women and not recognized in men just because of, you know, Prejudices about gender. So um, have you had a chance to test? Well, I assume you've had a chance to test these yeah, for, yeah, for example, yeah. gender accuracy. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 exactly. So I have, we have good news on that. Okay, so, <laughs> so I would like to make uh, three points here. So first of <laughs> all, um, you know, women are uh, twice as likely to experience depressive episodes and twice as likely to um, ex experience uh, stress-related, trauma-related uh, chronic episodes. Mm -hmm. The fact that, um, you know, there is a, a gender differential is something that's well-established uh, epidemiologically, biologically, mm -hmm. and so on. I mean, evolutionarily, it was smart to sort of like... Uh, you know, retreat and stay out of harm's way uh, if uh, bad things are happening in the environment. So that's probably sort of the root cause of it. Um, right. That that being said, um, 
you know, I, I don't like this term borderline personality disorder. I have a lot of mm -hmm. patients that come to me with that label. I view it as complex PTSD. It's a trauma. Mm -hmm. It's a trauma related disorder. I treat it as PTSD responds very well if you're treating it as PTSD. It's a complex PTSD. So they have some, you know, anxiety and stress related issues. They have some mood liability. They sometimes have dissociation and so on. But identifying mm -hmm. the the root cause trauma and treating it as PTSD works well. Now, mm -hmm. in terms of our biomarkers, the good news is that consistently across all the disorders that we've studied, uh, our blood biomarker panel for women are 10 to 20% more accurate than for men. So we mm -hmm. have much better blood tests for women than for men. And, uh, you know, 10, 20% is huge, actually, when you're sort of like doing things at the margin, when you're going from like 70% mm -hmm. to 80% or 90% accuracy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's good news for women. You know, the technology that we've developed works much better for women than for men. Um, we we're not, we think that the reason for that may be that um, uh, twofold. So as part of our studies, we had to rely in the early stages on people reporting how they feel so that you can sort of take blood samples from people who are reporting they were sick when they were reporting they were not sick and so on. Women are much better at uh, being in touch with their feelings and reporting how they feel. Uh, they're, you know, sharing that. Yeah. Which is very smart. Guys are not. Guys are not in touch with how they feel and they do not want to report that. They want to look tough and everything. Um, so that's one aspect. And then the second aspect, a lot of these biomarkers, uh, blood biomarkers are related to immune cells and the immune system is much more reactive and interacts with the brain much more in women than in men. So, so uh, you know, the women have two X chromosomes uh, and, um, you know, a lot of the immune... Um, genes are on the X chromosome. So the immune system is much stronger, the brain immune interaction much stronger in women. That's why women have more, you know, inflammatory disorders, autoimmune disorders, and so on. Mm. For those mm -hmm. two reasons, you know, the accuracy of self-report and the fact that the immune response and the uh, brain immune interaction is stronger in women, we think that that's why we have much better biomarkers that we've identified in women and they work much better and more predictive than in men so good news for women <laughs> we're almost like a women's health company becoming you know because the tests <laughs> are much better in women <laughs> do you have a question honey so with these tests would it be like you just take one test like one test for bipolar or could you take multiple tests because i know being bipolar like there is a suicide risk with that so would you take yeah, like yeah, the bipolar yeah, test yeah. and the suicide test yeah so so the the way it works is um the way we're currently doing it and again because it's early day early access program and so on uh we are sequencing your whole transcriptome meaning okay. we're sequencing the the rnas of all the genes in the genome we're using next generation sequencing so out of a blood sample we can look at multiple panels for mood disorders for suicide risk for stress and so on and provide reports for each of them uh the big cost is uh sort of the initial just you know getting the blood samples doing the sequencing after that you can the analytic part is less expensive and you can look at different panels so you can look at uh there and there are patients doctors and patients who last year in our early access program uh, looked at up to six reports out of a single sort of uh, blood sample they wanted to see all the reports that we have because as you mentioned there's comorbidity people with mood disorders also have pardon me Uh, have a so, 
suicide risk, have uh, stress comorbidities, mm -hmm. comorbidities, uh, etc. In the future for, you know, as we move towards, you know, one of our big goals in the year ahead and, and, and maybe it will take a couple of years is to get these tests cost down so more people can afford them. Right now, it's very expensive mm -hmm. to do this technology. So as we move towards sort of getting it uh, Medicare reimbursed, insurance coverage and so on, mm -hmm. we might do just targeted panels, just the markers for a disorder. So then it would be individual tests, but you could still potentially order out of a single blood tube multiple tests just like at your primary care doctor they take a tube of blood sure. and do your cbc your chemistry um you know whatever out of that do people tend to use the pain test for fibromyalgia because i know that's very subjective yeah yeah that's another sort of great question and uh um i i think so i think that's an area where the pain test will would be very useful we've had you know, sort of being primarily psychiatry and mental health, that's what we focused on in terms of what we developed and what we let doctors know about. But the, the people who have ordered a blood test for pain were people where they wanted to to substantiate that indeed they, that there's something going on because sometimes doctors don't believe them that they are in pain and so on. And uh, fibromyalgia is very interesting. I see a lot of patients who have that comorbidity, uh, patients with depression or other disorders who have fibromyalgia. And uh, I take it very seriously. I think it's a biological disorder. I don't think it's something subjective or that they make up. It's inflammatory. And um, I think, you know, that using these tests and matching people to the right medications will go a long way towards removing that sort of trial and error. It takes years to get the diagnosis, years to get, and sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. the treatments that are tried don't work and so on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, you know, I had a question uh, just thinking about it today. Do you ever perceive a future where you will be able to conduct these tests in utero, maybe late stage? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very futuristic, but um, you know the you could potentially um, look at DNA, not mm -hmm. at RNA, and that's sort of present from you know inception, uh, from conception, um, and in utero you could um, sort of uh, sample that, or, or, or there are all these technologies now that are being done as a prenatal screening for genetic disorders and so on. Um, and uh, there, there is some, we have some sort of thought process and, and um, research plan how we can walk back from these biomarkers to the DNA, to the letters in the DNA that code for them and regulate their expression. So that at some point we could, if we only had access to DNA or wanted to go early on before the disease manifested, we can look at DNA for potential risk. Um, and um, that would be sort of... Uh, going very going backwards in a very targeted way if you start with the whole genome dna and try to find markers like people have been doing in genetic research is kind of like needle in the haystack but we mm -hmm. start with already well validated markers and just look at the dna letters mm -hmm. that support their expression and then we could have a more targeted test but that's five, 10 years down the road. And then that begs ethical question. Like if you had that information, what are you going to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's like with Down syndrome or with other things, there are ethical dilemmas about uh, whether, you know, that information is helpful or not. Different people have different um, 
belief systems, different uh, cultural um, you know, backgrounds, different uh, decision-making process in place. And, um, you know, if you want to, to, since it's sort of Saturday afternoon and be even more futuristic, there is a possibility then years, decades down the road, it will be safe or we would have enough knowledge to do it safely where we could edit things in the genome in a safe way. Right now we can edit mm -hmm. things in the genome, but it's unsafe right. and mm -hmm. unethical. But down the road, uh, probably science will advance enough in 10, 20 years where we could actually edit in a safe target the way in the genome, potentially deleterious mutations. So you mm -hmm. could embryos in vitro for those, edit them, and then when they are implanted, they don't carry the risk of the disease. But that's sort of, you know, yeah. it's kind of science fiction at this point. It's doable yep. in 10, 20 years. Right now, I wouldn't right. recommend it. And there are tremendous right. technical, scientific, and ethical barriers, even though right. some people are going there. I wouldn't go there. Right now, and, and that was my follow-up question is, how do you better, and this is going to sound so unethical, like how do you, how do you better... Um, I guess, identify these kind of um, illnesses and comorbidities comor and then be able to weed them out. Um, but then that, that, like you said, that's very, that starts getting towards sort of, I don't want to say eugenics, but like, you know, seriously trying yeah, to. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, I, I mean, it has to start with like, like some uh, cases where the science is unambiguous um, it's doable and uh, it's a sort of major life-threatening thing. And there are some mm -hmm. disorders like that that are being screened mm -hmm. for um, prenatally and where there are some attempts for uh, sort of using this gene editing technology, mm -hmm. like for sickle cell disease, things like that. Uh, right. Those will come first. For these other disorders, the common disorders where there are small effects of different letters in the genome, it's very polygenic, many genes are involved. Um, it's, go it's going to take a while to figure out exactly what you can edit without having some sort of unintended consequence somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a reason why evolutionarily these diseases are present in the population, are conserved, and everybody's on a spectrum of severity that at, in small degrees in the right environment, having some of these traits is actually useful or was useful, right? So being, uh, you know, a bit more energetic in times when it's you can sort of take advantage of the environment is good. Mm -hmm. Being a bit more uh, low energy and depressed in the winter or in times when the environment is bad was useful, you know, mm -hmm. not just to us humans as a species, but probably at the you know, in the animal kingdom and so on. Uh, it's a it's basic biology. Being a bit anxious uh, in, you know, in environments where your life is threatened or, gener you know, generations of your ancestors were, you know, subjected to persecution and you sort of are more anxious as a result of the selection of that is a good thing because it permits you to detect risk early, flee, and so on. So... It's a spectrum um, when it's too much, when you have too many mutations and you're in the wrong environment and it affects you, it affects your life, your quality of life. That's when sure. we should intervene clinically. But a lot of things can be done, you know, in a biopsychosocial way to to mitigate, uh, you know, from, you know, our, our, our genes are our genes, but their expression is modulated by by nutrition, medications, meditation, sleep. Mm -hmm. 
right. exercise, you name it. So right. our genetics are flexible. The environment is very important. The medications and other supplements that we take are very important. So there's a lot of good we can do in terms of optimizing people's life, helping them live happier, longer without having to sort of go all the way to sort of play God and um, and uh, edit the genome. Although I think that will happen down the road in decades. It's uh, unavoidable. Sure. Uh, Amy, are you so? I am, yeah. So I had a question. Uh, one of the things that a lot of therapists struggle, as you, know, you as a psychiatrist probably know, is with medical conditions that have psych symptoms. So, for example, a thyroid problem that presents as anxiety or depression, yeah. 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 Uh, a brain infection. Yeah. So would having these biomarkers, these blood tests, help people distinguish early on when something's a medical problem and when it's actually a psych problem? They're all medical problems. Psych In that problems sense, are yeah. Medical problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, the brain is uh, another organ. We're all, it's all mm-hmm. part of our biology. But uh, mm-hmm. you can distinguish, uh, you know, uh, along with, uh, I mean, you know, if you have some depression and, uh, you know, the mood biomarker panel indicates that and a risk for it, and you also run, you know, your thyroid panel and see that that's the cause. So the, the I think the key point is that integrating these types of tests that we've worked on and developed as part of routine medical care, uh, as part of your annual exam, where you get screened for all the other things, as part, you know, with your primary care doctor, with your pediatrician down the road, mm-hmm. it is the way to go because uh, you can then sort of look at the whole person um, mm-hmm. and, and see, you know, what's happening and how things interact and what's the possible cause. So... I wouldn't make a distinction between medical conditions mm-hmm. and mental health conditions. It's all sort of, um, you know, one one body uh, integrated, and uh, you know, different things present maybe the same but have different biological root causes. Right. I think having uh, you know um, objective tests for that um, that integrate well into the uh, all the other laboratory tests that are being collected now is the way to go and clarifies things because when you know what the root cause is you can target it with mm-hmm. specific treatments as opposed to you know um not going for what the cause is <clears throat> how many years down the road do you think we are until they become annual regular tests depends how lucky uh, the company is mindex sciences how much uh, you know um, how good they are at executing on the business side, how much energy they have, how much energy I have. We're very committed and we work six days a week um, on on this. And uh, so there are a lot of external variables, but in terms of what we can control and how I see things and sort of being conservative, I would say that um, I wouldn't be surprised if in three to five years, um, these tests are part of uh, primary care assessments in uh, a lot of top places that are early adopters the future is already here it's just not evenly distributed and this Mm -hmm. is uh, not an original thought it's a quote from william gibson a science fiction writer (laughs) 
I assume right. that I, I assume, Dr. Nicolescu, you're reaching out to the medical societies, AMA, APA, like all and the you know, specialty societies as a way to build connections. Cause I know I, I used to um work for an um for a medical society and we did a lot of work with folks that like the folks that built DocBook, the early on sort of like a managed like care apps where your yeah. whole care team was on the same yeah. app. Yeah. And I figured you'd I assume you'd might make the same or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as you know, this is sort of a, um, a long journey so it first starts with the science having the science be strong solid validated replicated and so on and after that it starts with doing some seeing how it works in the mm-hmm. real world and after mm-hmm. that you do what we call clinical utility studies to show that using these tests does positively impact clinical care uh, you need to make them affordable, covered by Medicare, covered by insurance. Um, you, need, you need to have doctors understand them, adopt them, and so on. And the medical, then it becomes part of the practice and the guidelines of the medical society. So it's a journey. Mm-hmm. The way we view it is like a half marathon or maybe even a marathon. So if you think you're going to run 13 miles or 26 miles, you're going to get tired just thinking about it. So what you do is you you just run one mile at a time. Just absolutely. We know see it. CMS, you're absolutely right. CMS, they're, they're the best payers there are, you know, if you're working with um, any of yeah. the private payers or any payers, public or private. So yeah, um, yeah. does Amy, do you have anything or Rebecca? How does somebody get this test now? So uh, you could put in your show notes. They could go to mindexsciences.com. That's the website for the company. And um, they can uh, request information there about uh, the process, the pricing, the prescription form that they have to take to their doctor for their doctor to prescribe the test. These are prescription tests. These are not Mm -hmm. tests that are consumer tests. We want the doctor to be involved. Your relationship is with your doctor, whether that doctor is your primary care doctor, your internist, your concierge doctor, or your psychiatrist. They make the diagnosis. They treat you. We just provide information for them to help them with their process. Um, So people should go to mindexsciences.com and then um, request information from there. And that starts the the process going. And um, I I would say that... um, you know, what we've noticed over the last year, uh, 2022, with our early access program is that a lot of uh, primary care doctors and internists and concierge doctors are very excited about getting these tests ordered for their patients because they are used to ordering lab tests as part of their workflow, right? Mm-hmm. They, it's just another test that they get along with the other reports. Mm-hmm. And also they don't have an ego problem. They don't think they can diagnose somebody or, you know, come up with the right treatment just by talking to them and looking at them. A lot of us in psychiatry have this uh, illusion that, uh, you know, after seeing patients for so many years, we can diagnose them properly with just by looking at them, talking to them, relying on some self-report and maybe some questionnaires. Absolutely uh, correct. I agree. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Mm-hmm. I can tell you. I mean, having the subjective information is not in lieu of having the doctor, the expert there. It's additional. It's like flying with instruments as opposed to flying by looking out the window. Mm-hmm. And All right, guys. You, I got to run. I have yes. at 12 15, I have yes. another uh, yes. Zoom call, but uh, I appreciate very much uh, talking to you. This, the questions were great. Please send me a link or something. 
Did you notice me? 